I think I said this the very first week, but I promise to never come up without my hair a mess and my clothes a mess. It's one of the joys of having little kids, especially one that shoves his face right in the center of my hairline and I can feel it. Anyway, <laughs> good morning again. Um, have, you, uh, have you guys ever been in a room that's perfectly silent? Like, I think of, like, when you're taking a test and, like, everybody in the class, like, no pencils are moving yet, but it's, it's perfectly silent, and then somebody sneezes, <laughs> and how deafening the sneeze is. Like, it's just a sneeze. It was just a moment. It's not super loud, but it's deafening. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it's a, a more somber moment, like a funeral, where there's that moment of silence, and then that one person, <clears throat> or... Uh, or it's the moment of silence and somebody moves. Like, your innate reaction is to turn and to look. Like, you might even know who it is. It might even be the person next to you. But you'd still turn. Everybody turns. Uh, today we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think I'm going to get through all my material. And this will be a two-parter, and I'm sorry for that. But John the Baptist broke 400 years of prophetic silence uh, from God. John the Baptist was kind of kooky. Uh, most prophets were a little bit on the kooky side, especially, especially at the end of, of, uh, of, of, of the prophets, the minor prophets. They, they all lived kind of kooky lives. Uh, most of them lived in the wilderness because nobody wanted to hear what they had to say. Um, and... John the Baptist is by no means immune to that exact same problem, um, as we will see. So go ahead and open up in your Bibles to, uh, to uh, Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to try and answer some questions today. We're going to try and answer uh, who is John the Baptist a little bit. Uh, at least our text is going to treat that. Who is John the Baptist? Um, what was he doing? And what was he saying? And I have a feeling I'm going to get, a, get to the beginning of what he's saying before, before our closing today. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll read our, our scripture. Father, again, I thank you for this time to worship, to gather, to delight in you. I, I pray, Lord, that you would convict us through your word, that we're not coming to just um, learn some interesting facts or, or even necessarily just to spend time with with uh, those people around us. Those are good things, but I pray, God, that we came to be humbled by you, to be convicted by you, to be encouraged by you, to, be, to, to grow in our love of you. Have that happen in all of us today, Lord. Amen. So again, go ahead and open to uh, Matthew chapter 3 in your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. In those days... By the way, I love that phrase because it means basically nothing. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all, all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. So like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about who is John the Baptist. And there's a lot of stuff said about John the Baptist, especially in church tradition. You will find that when things are silent in Scripture, somebody speaks about it. This is the general rule. Uh, and so in church tradition, we've, we've had a lot of things said about John the Baptist that are not necessarily scriptural. And what's, what's interesting to me is what we have here, it's almost nothing. You don't really have much. Uh, Luke gives us, uh, gives us more, but what Matthew records is almost like the bare minimum. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it doesn't really tell us much, um, but ultimately, it's what God has deemed Matthew say about this guy, John the Baptist. Um, so, again, you have this in those days that starts chapter 3, verse 1. In what days? <laughs> that's, that's my thought, what days? Because the verse before, the end of chapter 2, just says that Jesus lived in a city called Nazareth. In what days did John the Baptist come? Uh, so... So John, we find out through Luke chapter 1, verse 36 specifically, you find out that John is related to Jesus. Uh, you, you, you find some translations say cousin, because that seems probable, but really it was like second cousins or third cousins or, you know, that, that cousin that's like twice removed. Like what, whatever, whatever you call that, that guy that you know you're related to, but you're kind of ashamed to be related to, except Jesus wasn't probably ashamed of John the Baptist, I don't mean that. But, uh, but John the Baptist, um, chances are Jesus and John the Baptist were not close. We don't have Jesus' childhood. We don't have John the Baptist's childhood. But Nazareth and, Gal- uh, uh, or I'm sorry, Nazareth and, um, and, and where John the Baptist grew up, which would have been close to Bethlehem, right near Jerusalem, they were not close. They would have seen each other at best during the feasts, which were only a couple times a year. Um, so John the Baptist and Jesus did not hatch some crazy scheme to create a cult. That's actually one view. Um, John the Baptist is related, but not, not close. So that's important to note. Um, a, a, a second thing to note about John the Baptist um, we are at First Baptist Church of Toledo. But John was the first Baptist. You know, Baptist's been around before Jesus died. That's a joke, and I've heard it before seriously. <laughs> not as a joke, but as a, as a serious statement. That is not 
that is not part of John's name. An actual proper translation of John's name is John the Baptizer, uh, not necessarily Baptist. Um, the, so so uh, Josephus, who is, um, uh, he, he was an ancient scholar. Uh, he was a known liar. Uh, he, he wrote, he, he was a Jewish scholar who wrote to make Rome look good. Uh, so most of his book, The Antiquities is what it's called, is, is a lot of propaganda and kind of washing over of the facts. Um, the, uh, any, any, any good historian will tell you Josephus is not really to be trusted, but he said certain things about Jesus that we like as Christians, so we just kind of latch onto it. But, but everything he said had some air of truth. In it, but he actually refers to John the Baptist. He refers to John the Baptist. He refers to Jesus, and the way he refers to John the Baptist is John, who was surnamed the Baptist. I love, I love that phrase. I think that's funny. Like basically, what he's saying is that baptism was so pivotal to this guy John's ministry that he was given this title. Uh, that, it, that it, was, it was given to him. It's not something he made up. It's not something that, uh, that he said about himself, but that was it. Now, baptizing. Um, anybody here grow up Roman Catholic? You grew up Roman Catholic. So we at least, we, we at least got one person who, uh, who, who was probably sprinkled as a baby. Um, I, I, my, my family is historically Lutheran, so I got the baby sprinkle, uh, and that was called a baptism. But the Greek word for bap- baptize uh, is, is actually pronounced baptizo. It's pretty close to the English word. But, but, but what, when you have a word, you break it down into its roots. What's the main root of baptist? Is it bap or tist? I don't know. But that's not really, it's just a Greek transliteration of a word, um, which means to immerse. Uh, the, 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 ancient, um, the ancient Greeks, when they referred to something that was baptized, typically sank to the bottom of an ocean. Um, a ship, if it, if it met a storm and sunk, they wouldn't say, ah, oh, that ship sank. They would say that ship was baptized. <laughs> That's, that, 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 was the, that was the way they thought about it. So um, with respect to my baby sprinkling brothers and sisters in the Lord, that doesn't make sense to the word. Anyway, um, so, so, so uh, first thing about John, he was related to Jesus. Second thing, uh, his title, the baptizer, um, meant that baptism was very important to his ministry. And here we are at a Baptist church. Wouldn't that be great if that were so important to our ministry that the, the word Baptist on the, the sign actually meant something? Amen. <clears throat> Sorry, that was... That was a hard one. I don't mean that as a rebuke to you guys. Um, I mean that in general. Like that, 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 that should be something that's, that's close to us. Uh, we as Baptists, we believe in what's called regenerate church membership, meaning that to be on the membership roster, you're supposed to be regenerated. You're supposed to be actually a believer to be a member. Uh, some churches kind of set that aside and just say, hey, if you're sitting in the pew, uh, you're a church member, you have voting rights, you're, you know, they, they put a lot of things on there. But historically, Baptists have hold it, or held to this regenerate church membership thing. Um, John the Baptist 
actually had had a requirement for his baptism, according to Josephus again, but it seems pretty pretty textual as well, uh, that somebody had to confess their sins and they had to repent to be baptized. So 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 if if John held that as important before baptism, we ought to also, just as a as a as a little side note there. Uh, the third thing, I almost, I, the third thing, the third thing <laughs> uh, about John was that he was a, a man of humble circumstances. Uh, in, in verse four, you have this statement of, of what he wore. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now that is not a diet plan. We're not going to do a John the Baptist <laughs> diet plan here at church, I promise. Uh, but, 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 but what that says about him is that he lived in the desert. Where do camels live? The desert. The desert. Uh, he, he, he lived in the desert. He wore what was readily available. And if you think about how big a camel is, right? Uh, chances are he wore a camel hide as like a, like a suit. That's kind of loose, so he wore a leather belt to kind of tie it up because nobody wanted, I mean, I'm sure he didn't want to Marilyn Monroe it when he went over, uh, went over a grade or there was a windstorm. Um, so here's this dude that wears, wears camel hide and has a, has a belt. And not only that, but he eats locusts. Now, locusts are pretty common in the desert. Uh, we don't live in a desert. We don't live in the Judean desert. We don't, we don't live... In Israel, but locusts are everywhere. They eat everything. That's one of the reasons deserts are so arid. But Israel has a lot of plant life. So the locusts are everywhere. So you're walking around, hey, look, there's my lunch. Om nom nom nom. Like that, that is, so that's what he ate. And then you're also walking around and hey, look, there's a beehive. I can get some honey. So he ate the honey. He wasn't trying to be weird. This wasn't, this wasn't a, a, an extension of his weirdness. It's just, this is where he lived. This is what he ate. He didn't have a job in the sense that he didn't have like a trade. He was a, he was, he was a pretty stationary prophet. I mean, he stayed in one area. That's, that, so he was a man of, of humble circumstances. Um, and then you have this surprising fact, this, uh, this fourth fact. It's one, two, three, four. Okay. Uh, this fourth fact about John the Baptist is people came to see him from the surrounding areas. Remember, remember how I started. I said he broke this 400 years of silence. There had not been a prophet for 400 years. There had been false prophets. If you, if, if you ever want to read something Really bad. Pick up, uh, pick up the extra biblical book, the first and second Maccabees. Uh, you find actually, and third Maccabees, uh, you find a lot of propaganda. Uh, you find a lot of a lot of prophets coming about saying God told us to start this war, and that was wrong. They were false prophets. So by the time the, the this this hits, it's about four hundred years later. There had not been a single prophetic voice. God had not actually spoken through a person in 400 years. So John was not somebody like, um, 
this, this is a, this, so if you ever go to the Portland Saturday market, there's a gentleman that wears pink fishnets uh, with a black leotard underneath. And he goes by the name of Pinky and he does interpretive dance to Native American music. That is not why people were not going to John the Baptist because this was like a weirdo that they wanted to look at and laugh at like like I do Pinky. Uh, but by the way, I worked with someone that knew him. It was really weird. But <laughs> but 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 they weren't going out just because there was a weird guy. It was because this guy was actually proclaiming something that was important, proclaiming something that was clearly from God. And there was this huge messianic expectation. This this new king was supposed to rise up and take over Rome, and Israel was supposed to be um, dwelling securely. So this was a message they needed to hear, a message they wanted to hear, and uh, people were coming out to see him. But John also didn't see himself as that important. He just kind of saw himself as a herald. I mean, uh, the, the, the prophecy that, um, that Matthew quotes from Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John saw his whole duty as just setting up the way of the Lord. And you see that when he says, hey, this guy coming, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. So that's, that's actually how we should see ourselves too. See, we, we like to think that, uh, I, I, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that, that thinks that a prophet was somebody who was like living in grandeur or somebody important. But prophets, especially the minor prophets, if you read the minor prophets, ain't none of them thought they were anything. All they wanted to do was, or all they had to do was say what God said to them. Because a prophet is just a mouthpiece. But we should see ourselves kind of as that too. We have God's full and complete revelation in his Bible. We should, we should be interested in proclaiming it, in heralding it. And like John, honestly, using our entire being, our intellect, our prestige, our circumstances, just to point to Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. His baptism was for repentance, meaning that it was supposed to display repentance. Romans chapter 6 actually talks about baptism in a similar way. But, but again, the, the, the point is really that we should be, like John the Baptist, heralds. Do you know what a herald is? Do you know what a town crier is? Yeah. By, by, by the way, a herald, I'm not talking about like great uncle Harold. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about somebody who heralds, who proclaims something, who says something. That's what we Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to be proclaiming, preaching, heralding the good news of our king who's, who has come. He did come, and he's coming back again. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're just supposed to be saying that. Anything else is secondary. And I'll, I'll be honest, that's, this is hard for me. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you, you know, follow me only as I follow Christ. <laughs> imitate me only in as much as I imitate Christ. But when, when it comes to work, I mean, I, I work in a place where there's not that many Christians. Uh, I pray, I pray for, for folks. Um, but by golly, I just want to point him to Jesus as much as I can. I proclaim the good news. Um, had a conversation with a coworker recently who, uh, by their own admission, um, uh, avoids churches at all costs. Um, and I mean, we're stuck in a break room together between routes. I drive bus. Uh, we're stuck in a break room together and we have conversations about stuff. But 
I, I mean, I, I can't help but talk about Christ. I'm not trying to just eke Jesus into every conversation, um, but I'll offer to pray for them, talk, talk to them about why I'm a Christian, why I have beliefs. I mean, that's, that's just what we do. We herald, not about us, but we herald about our king. So pray, pray for me, but pray also for yourselves that, that you would have God's mercy to do that. Not in a weird way. It's really easy to go through like a program. Nothing wrong with program plans of evangelism, but, but, but if you're going to herald the good news of Jesus, do it naturally. Do it in actual conversation um, to the best of your ability. Actually, you know what? Do it to the best of God's ability that he gives you by his mercy. <laughs> um, don't do it on yourself. So, so, so those, are, those are five things to think about with John the Baptist. And it's just, like, honestly, that's all that scripture says, those five things. There's a lot more you'll read about them if you pick up, like, a Roman Catholic book or, uh, or, or, or if you just Google John the Baptist and start reading things about him, you'll find out a lot of things that he didn't do. But those five things really, honestly, are, are, are important. So people come out to hear him. They come out to hear him because they know he has something to say. But what is it that he said? Matthew gives us these bare bones things. And now I'm actually going to get into the text. Uh, But he had three basic statements. And I I boiled them down to a command, a rebuke, and a comparison. Um, the, The command is the very first thing we read him saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you ever heard the word repent? How do you repent? Have you ever pent? Have you guys ever pented before? Not repented, but pented. Another weird word that we use, and it's kind of a churchy lingo. Um, John's basic message is repentance. Jesus's basic message actually is repentance. Uh, if, you, if you read Mark chapter three, verse 15, it says that uh, Jesus says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That sounds familiar. Repent and believe the gospel. So here's that word repent. What does repent mean? It's a Greek word translated, put through Latin and then pushed out to us in the word repent. Sometimes it's boiled down to changing one's mind. Um, that is not what John meant. That is not what Jesus meant. Because if you change your mind, who changed your mind? Me. Yeah, me. I did. I changed my mind. But, but that's not how John means it. Let's, let's reread uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, let's, let's do five. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan doing what? Confessing their sins. So to John, repentance is not just changing your mind because I can change my mind about a sin, right? I can, I can look at myself and say, ah, you know, that's not really that good. You ever, you know, self-betterment. Um, I, I can look at myself and I can say, mm, that's not really good about myself. I'm going to go change it. But that's not what John is talking about. John the Baptist is baptizing people, but they're, but they're confessing their sins. So for one, repentance in John the Baptist's mind involves confession. Do you confess your sins? If you confess your sins, who do you confess them to? 
hopefully to God, and hopefully to the person that you wronged. When you are convicted of sinfulness, you confess to the person, too. Um, this morning, I unloaded on my poor wife for a particular reason, and I had to apologize for just unloading, like just complaining. That's what I was doing. I was just whining. I was whining angrily. Angry whining. I wish there was a word for that. I'll have to come up with one. But I was angry whining, and, uh, and, and I, I had to apologize to her and, and say, you know what, I'm sorry. You, know, you just woke up, and here I am doing, a, uh, doing an emotional puking. Um, and, I mean, it doesn't help anything. That was my sin. That was my sin for just being mad. Uh, so repent means confessing your sins, and it also means leaving the sin behind. That's where we turn to for the, for the uh, really changing one's mind, but it's, it's confessing and leaving behind. Uh, we have verse 8. Uh, this is a, a rebuke against the Pharisees. We'll, we'll get to that. But John the Baptist says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In keeping with. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you keep with repentance? Do you keep with confessing and leaving your sin? Throughout your whole Christian life, man, telling you, you're going to do that. If you're a Christian, you are going to continue finding new sins, being convicted of those new sins, and leaving those sins. You're also going to have old sins crop up that you thought were dead, and you're going to find out that actually it was that, that sin wasn't dead, it was just kind of maimed. You're going to need to leave it again, and again, and again, and again. <laughs> Romans chapter 7 makes that clear. Uh, please, in your own time, read Romans 7 and, and listen to the Apostle Paul's anguish over his sin. And then the conclusion. So John required public confession. And uh, according, we know that in the text. And then we also uh, think through Josephus, Josephus that he required Repentance for, for the baptism, for the immersion in the River Jordan, signifying they're, they're, they're coming from, from death to life. Um, traditionally, confession of sin and visible repentance are, are required for a Baptist to baptize someone else. That's, that's, that's tradition. Um, not to be confused with Anabaptists, have you ever heard of an Anabaptist? Um, Anabaptists and Baptists get confused all the time uh, in, in, in church history. An Anabaptist means a rebaptizer. Um, they thought of baptism as a washing away of your sins. So when you sin, you get baptized and it washes your sin away and then you're good for a while and then you go away and then you sin again, you know, maybe 10, 15 years later, it's a really big sin and you go back and you get rebaptized. That's an Anabaptist view because it, it's meant to wash you each time. That was actually a cultish view in John the Baptist period. Um, the Essenes did that. The, the, the folks that lived in the Qumran caves where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, so baptism is not meant to wash your sins away. Baptism is meant to declare that you've repented. It's a declaration of what God has already done. A visible expression of an internal reality. And that's seeming what John the Baptist did. 
That was, that was his method. His message was repent. His method was baptism. And we, we need to recognize that repentance of sin is basic to the gospel. The sinner needs to hear this, and the saved need to hear this. I mean, if you, if you can't think of somehow that you've sinned in the last 24 hours, you need to repent of that. But we need to repent constantly. But repentance is not just a command, it's a gift. Um, Leaving a sin is not something we do of our own power. Thomas Watson, who was an English Puritan, uh, wrote a whole book on repentance, but he, he boils it down to this. He says, repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Do you repent? Do you get inwardly humbled? And do you visibly show transformation? It's one of the reasons Christians love testimony stories. We like to see that. But what about the little? Not just the drug dealer turned pastor. I was not a drug dealer, by the way. But, but, uh, but not just the drug dealer turned pastor or the, 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 the convict who became a missionary. But what about those, those inward humbles that you guys get? Do you show visible reformation in that? Do you have proof to yourself? Are you bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Romans 2.4, Paul writes, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Repentance is important for the sinner and the saved. So don't... Don't, don't get into the mindset that you're just looking at the sins of everybody else, but, but look in your own heart. That's what John the Baptist preached. He was preaching to Israel, to saved Israel. Saved. And he told them to repent, for the kingdom was near. Listen, God's kindness it should lead you to repentance. It should lead all of us to repentance. His compassion, his gifts, his providence, those days that you are sustained, he does that because he wants you to repent of your sin. He does that because he cares for you and knows that your greatest problem is the sin inside of you, not the circumstances outside of you. So capitalize on every opportunity, not just to say things, and uh, not, not just, not just to, to preach the gospel specifically to somebody, but, but hey, if you get convicted of a sin, lament over it. Pray about it with somebody you know. Somebody who's close. I mean, this is a close-knit community. Most of you guys, I mean, you're, you're like, you, you've been together for decades, so when you, when you feel that conviction of sin, reach out to your friend, not just an accountability partner, but somebody that you know has maybe dealt with a similar sin or, or, or gone through a similar season of life. You ask for prayer because you know that you need to repent of whatever's going wrong in you. I had a, speaking of capitalizing on it, I had a coworker who was talking about Kobe Bryant's death and how tragic that was. You guys know about that Kobe Bryant basketball guy flying in his personal helicopter, like I like I drive in my personal vehicle, flying in his personal helicopter. Uh, something goes wrong, plane or helicopter goes down, kills Kobe Bryant, his daughter, 
and a whole bunch of the teammates uh, that were flying with him, girls, young girls, they died, dead. And he was lamenting over Kobe's death. And I, I, I was talking to him how sad I am about the, the, the almost unnamed girls, the almost unnamed dads that were flying with him. And I, 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 I talked about that as a, a tragedy, but how here I am alive, that's God's kindness to me. And how that reminds me that, that there are tons of things that, that I'm looking at wrongly and that I need to repent of. And the last thing I'm going to talk about for today is the rest of that, repent. So he says, repent for, that for is important. Uh, Verse two, chapter three, verse two, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A paraphrase of that would be the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, In Sunday school, I made the statement because I was reading in a commentary, but a kingdom is not a kingdom unless it has a king. That makes sense? So when you think of a, of, a, of, a, of a kingdom, you automatically think of the king. So when John the Baptist is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, he's saying, repent, the king is coming. And that king was Jesus. We know that. We know that just from when he says that he's not worthy to even carry Carry the sandals. We know the gospel's about Jesus. We've been reading these chapter, this chapter. We know, we know this is all about Jesus. But there's an urgency there. And the kingdom is now more near than it was at John the Baptist's time. You ever think about that? Jesus came. He lived. He, he, he preached. John the Baptist makes the statement in, in, in the Apostle John's gospel, so uh, the gospel of John, he must... Or I must de- de- uh, decrease, so, so he must increase. Or I, he, I'm getting that. I'm saying that. I must decrease, so he must increase. His statement was that my ministry has to die down so that his ministry can rise up. We like to think about that in terms of, you know, like me diminishing so that, like, God is more in my life. That's not really what John the Baptist was talking about. It's actually a pretty good principle, but it's not what John the Baptist was talking about. When he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and I must decrease so he must increase, he's making that statement that, that, that listen, the king is coming. That's the same message we have today. This whole thing is the same message we have today. Repent, leave your sins, forsake the death that is sin and find life in Jesus Christ because, because the king is near. Has that message changed in 2,000 years? No. Jesus said the same thing. Again, uh, you know, the, the time has been fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. This good news. That good news is for all of us. That good news is for everyone out there. That good news is for, for every single person. Repent. Leave your sin. And, 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 and feel the wonderful gift that is God's salvation. It's not just a one and done situation, folks. We all need to repent. We all all need to be reminded of God's nearness. We need to remember that urgency too. 
We need, to, we need to be kind and compassionate. We need to preach the truth, the good news. And I'm going to be honest, the non-believer can smell fakeness like we can feel that we're being fake. You ever been in that situation where you're, where you're talking to a coworker and you really just don't, or you're talking to a neighbor, you just don't care about what they're talking about? Maybe they're talking about trimming their rhododendrons or something. And you're like, mm, I don't care. I didn't have to trim your rhododendrons. You did that. That was, that was your problem. The same thing is true when we're talking to somebody about Christ and salvation and we can feel that we're just trying to be, I don't know, too rote, uh, too, too, too not, not real is ultimately what it is. Listen, if Jesus is not the most important thing that you're heralding in your life, but, but, but maybe like a new car is, or maybe, maybe some, some really crazy important thing, listen, you're not like John the Baptist. John the Baptist saw, saw Jesus as the most important thing. And like I said earlier, pray for God's mercy on me, because I'll be honest, that is hard. It's hard for me to have Jesus be so important that I can't, I can't help but talk about the truth about him. Not just try to solve people's problems. That's my sin. I like to, I like to be the fixer. I like to go in and, you know, somebody's complaining to me about something and I, I know exactly how to fix it. I know exactly what their problem is. Oh, but I'm going to eke Jesus in here a little bit. That's fakery. That's, that's not the way I'm supposed to do it. I'm supposed to care about them. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to be compassionate. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best example of that all the time. None of us are. That's why we have each other. That's why God has a body with many parts. We need to be empathetic to the non-believer. We need to, we need to have compassion on them. We need to preach the truth. We need to make sure we're banded together in this effort, this endeavor. There's a lot of unsaved folks in Toledo, in most churches, there's unsafe folks in the, in the four walls, too. Um, usually that is determined on larger churches, but, but I, I mean that. So we need to hold each other with the truth. Like John the Baptist, we need a herald of this wonderful king, the one whose shoes were not fit to carry, because his kingdom is near. Let's... Let's pray and sing our last song. Lord, I'll admit, I like to think of you as, as, as a friend, um, which is true. I like to think of you as close, which is true. But I forget that I'm not even worthy to carry your shoes, to untie your sandals. I'm not worthy to do any of, anything that you, you ask me to do except that you ask me to do it because you're, you love me and you're compassionate. And the same thing was true of John. He goes and breaks these 400 years of silence, first prophetic voice. People misunderstand him. They do the wrong things. Um, they say the wrong things, I'm sure. But he was still preaching the message, still preaching the truth. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be convicted through John the Baptist's eagerness and urgency, his truthfulness, his desire for repentance in others and probably himself. I pray that you would help us to be convicted in that, but also encouraged. Encouraged that you are near. Your kingdom has come. 
The time is fulfilled. But it's also not yet. Lord, let us keep our eyes on the fact that we are still in a position to watch people be saved by you, by your gracious hand. Renew us. Renew in us a desire to see that happen. Warm our hearts to that gospel truth. In Jesus' name, amen.